step the chopping way across the grubby one, the grubby one-room shack with a few sticks of rickety furniture and nailed beside the sleigh. The blonde cringed away from her gentle touch. Easy, Sephra said. I'm not going to hurt you. The thrall sobbed. Really? Sephra added. She took the blonde's chin between her thumb and forefinger and turned her averted face until they were eye to eye, compelling the other woman to take note that her own compassionate of her own compassionate expression. I'd never heard a slave. I was a slave myself once upon a time. I'm not a runaway, well withdraw. It's alright. I'm not a slave catcher, and I'm not interested in returning you to your master. The blonde said, I have to go back. What else can I do? But they'll blame me. They'll whip me to death. She was afraid. She was afraid to seize the opportunity Aaron had given her and even tried to, to be free. The realization gave Sephiroth another twinge of disdain. Even though she knew that ultimately liberty was a, as foul as bondage or any other condition or thing to which one could put a name. In any case, with all the thrall cared about was escaping punishment, then that was the lever Sephiroth would use to pry some sense out of her. Do you mean to return to your master, the monastic said? Then maybe I can put in a good word for you. Help you convince him it wasn't your fault. The blonde snuffled. You do that? I follow the broken God, and he teaches us to help those in need. The only thing is, I won't be able to persuade another of your innocence until I myself understand exactly what happened. I mean, you say you didn't want to run away. But you did strike off your leg irons. All the other slaves were, were doing it. I was afraid they'd hurt me. If I didn't, let them break my chains too. I went off with them for, for the same reason. But sneaked away as soon as I could. By the time I got back, though, some more of the masters were already here.
loading the dead bodies into a wagon. They'd seen everyone was gone, me included, so I was scared to approach them. I hid until they drove away, then came into the shed to try and figure out what to do. Well, that explains it to some extent, said Zephyrus. But you better tell me the whole story from the beginning. How did the red-bearded man get inside? He rang the bell. Or she did. The woman who was with him. When Master Dirk went to answer, the man shoved through and clubbed him. Zephyrus nodded. Dirk, the half-orc? Aaron had knocked unconscious, but left alive had only a cloudy memory of the attack, but thought he recalled a woman. The ruffians, the thief, and it had ambushed along the docks, likewise, had a vague impression that Aaron hadn't acted alone, and it certainly seemed unlikely that he'd defeated five red axes and an enchanted construct unaided. Zephyrus had already concluded that he had found an accomplice full-heartedly enough to stand with him against the gang. Master Evander came out to see what was going on, the thrall continued. The man and woman killed him. Afterwards, they fetched the tools to strike the chains off and told us to run away. I said it was madness, but nobody would listen to me. Then the other red axes, the masters with the big metal insect, came to investigate the noise. Yes, I thought then everything would be alright. I didn't have to ha have my shackles off yet, so they wouldn't punish me. But the man, the woman, and you gun, a hobgoblin, one of us thralls killed the masters. The man threw the, the, the man threw knives, the woman shot arrows, then fought with a broadsword and buckled. Yag! Hold on, Zephyrus interrupted. A sudden suspicion took her, took hold of her. It was ridiculous, of course. The world was full of archers, and even if it wasn't, no one but a magician or highly trained monk could have survived the fall from the top of Aaron's tower. Still, she had to ask. The woman. Was she a good shot? The blonde cocked her head as if puzzled by the question, but answered willingly. 
she never missed. Describe her. Tell. Tall and slim, with curly brown hair chopped off short. She had on leather armor, and when she went into the shed, the lamplight caught her. I saw it was. I I saw it was dyed green. Cephas felt astonished. She could not believe. No, she could never been more certain of a kill. Yet she had no doubt it was Mary that Thrall had seen. Somehow the guide was still alive and had joined forces with Aaron. If Sephiris had examined the red axe corpses and recognized the arrow punctures for what they were, she might have suspected sooner. Yet, what sense did it make? She assumed Aaron's goal was to put so much pressure on Kes that 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 the Tannerook would be willing to undertake a fair exchange of Nikos or the Black Bouquet in order to put an end to the harassment. Mary presumably still wanted to deliver the formulary to whoever had bought it from Lord Coolin. How then could they possibly work together? When the answer came to Sephiris, she couldn't help smile a fleeting but genuine smile because it solved her problem. She didn't need to scour the city looking for Aaron. She knew where he'd turn up sooner or later. Her companion cringed from the momentary change in her expression. What is it? Whimpered Thrall. It's fine, Sephiris Rose. You told me what I needed to hear. Are you leaving? asked the blonde. You said you'd, you said you'd help me. Please take pity on me. No, Sephiris said. Char teaches that nothing in the world deserves our pity, neither others nor ourselves. Still, what she was about to do would be mercy, the only true mercy any being ever received. It was the Thrall's good fortune that her deliverer didn't want her repeating their conversation to the Red Axes. All it took was a simple front snap kick. The ball of Sephiris' foot slammed into the blonde's delicate chin, breaking her neck. She was dead before her yellow hair head hit touched the floor. 
despite the ease with which she managed it, Zephyrus found the kill particularly satisfying. She wasn't sure why. Aaron peered at the crack between the wide double doors, then highly, then lightly pressed one of them with his palm. Can you open it? Mary whispered. She looked odd, and it wasn't the olive pigment they'd both smeared on their skin to make themselves resemble half-orbs. He couldn't see the color amid the darkness of the narrow cul-de-sac. Rather, it was the absence of a bow, quiver, and her distinctively dyed armor, which had seemed as much a part of her as her hands and feet. No, he said. It doesn't have a lock for me to pick, just a bar on the other side. However, the place does have a skylight. He prowled along the warehouse wall, looking at a, looking at a spot where the brick was cracked and pitted enough to provide some decent handholds. When he found it, he swarmed upward onto the slanted roof where a night breeze wafted. The cool air felt strange in his newly shaved chin, on his newly shaved chin, chin. It was easy to work a knife between the skylight and frame and pop the latch. The hard part would come after he slipped through. It was a 30-foot drop to the floor. He'd had good luck lately sur surviving long falls relatively unscathed. It was about the only good fortune he'd enjoyed but it would be mad to risk another unnecessarily. In other circumstances, he would have lowered a rope, even if he'd had one. He wouldn't have been able to leave it hanging down for someone to discover. So he gripped the protruding underside of a rather clingy of a of a rather clinging by the sheer strength of his fingers Aaron inched along until he could swing himself over the railing onto the loft and run around the walls he found the long hook pole used to manipulate the skylight and swung it close, close, then skulked down the stairs. The warehouse was more empty than otherwise a testimony to 
memory Skultahar's ability to move stolen goods quickly. The stacks of crates sat here and there, providing places to hide. Aaron unbarred the door and re-secured it once Mary slipped inside. How in Fury's heart does the Skaltahar does this Skaltahar scoundrel get in and out? She asked, peering warily around the interior of the building. I imagine he has a private tunnel connected to the warehouse to the hungry hunting. She considered a pile of boxes shrouded with a drop cloth, then gave him an acquiring glance. He nodded, and they crouched down behind it. After that, they had nothing to do but wait. It wore on his nerves, and maybe in hers as well. Because eventually she whispered, nothing's happening. It will. Here in Oval or Weevil, thieves move loot through the underways whenever possible, but sometimes are just too big. But some things are just too big and heavy to drag around below ground. They have to go through the streets, and the red axes make a delivery to emeralds around this time every fifth day. How do you know? Aaron just grinned. Alright, she said, but are you certain they won't postpone? After all, they're looking for you and trying to protect all their various enterprises. 2. If the halflings are raiding them, as promised, they should be filling all the more inclined to pull in and stay safe. You'd think, but a gang of chieftains but a gang chieftain like Kesk has to keep his operation running and the coin flowing, if only because otherwise it would make him look weak. He can't afford that. He got, he's got rival organizations, the Greyblades, and ambitious underlings all eager to strike at him if they think they see an opening. That makes sense, I suppose. She was silent for a time, then said, Was I completely foolish, hoping Umber would help us just because it was the right thing to do? He said, You rogues, no, he said, You rogues have a code. It's not the same kind your guild evidently holds, too. 
It does say you have to put your own hand on the chopping block to help out somebody else. It, no. It doesn't say you have to put your own hand on the chopping block to help out someone else. It just says outlaws are supposed to deal fairly with one another. He smiled ruefully and added, Even so, we break the rules when it suits us. I'd be ashamed to tell people my name if I were content to live like that. He wasn't sure she'd aim the barb specifically at him, but even so, it stung. You're so sure you know right from wrong, he said. But you work for the Lord Wuin, and according to and according to Omber, the bastard loves war. Maybe he's going to use the gold to make off the two. Maybe he's going to use the gold he makes off the bouquet to launch another campaign against his neighbors. He's not, he told me himself. It's to provide food and shelter for folk in need, just as here in Weevil. The book will give a good many laborers a chance to live both comfortable and honest. He grinned and asked, Do you believe everything people tell you? She glared, but before she could retort, a hitherto concealed trapdoor in the plank floor swung upward, and she had the good sense to fall absolutely silent. A lantern in one hand and a scimitar hanging at his hip. Emery's Skeltahar climbed into view and closed the hatch. Weevil's preeminent receiver of stolen goods was a square built man with dark, watchful eyes. Time had stolen much of his hair, etched lines in his face, and began to tug the flesh under his jaw into dewlaps. But he still had the life. No, he still had the lethrid of the young Bravo. He'd started out as. He was simply but well dressed. No, he was simply but well dressed in an indigo buffin tunic and leather breeches. Emery started drifting about idly, contemplating this heap of plunder or that pulling the lid off a crate to look at the ivory tusks inside. Aaron's mouth went dry. 
Somehow, when he'd conceived the plan, he hadn't, no, it hadn't occurred to him that the fence might simply wander through the warehouse until he inevitably stumbled onto the intruders. Aaron assumed that together he and Mary could overpower Limp uh, Emery's by, but that wasn't the point. Any confrontation would ruin the plan, and even if, no, even if matters were otherwise, he had no desire to raise his hand to a man who'd always treated him relatively well. Fortunately, before it could come to that, someone rapped on the door. Emery's uh, unbarred it in a wagon drawn by a white horse and a, and a black one rolled inside. Thereag, the bugbear, held the reins and an orc cradled a crossbow served as guard. Emrys shut the door behind them. After the three exchanged a few words, the red axes hopped down and unloaded some barrels from the back of the cart. From the e from the ease with which they accomplished the task, it was plain the kegs were empty. They had to shift them, however, to make it make two more easily raised two more it'll easily raise a hidden hatch of their own. The wagon bed was hollow, deeper than it looked and held the actual shipment, cl shipment clo cloth bundles that clinked or cluttered when they lifted them out and set them on the floor. Emrys crouched to unwrap one, and a pungent scent of oil filled the air. Inside were gleaming Inside were gleaming sword blades. Evidently, nobody had sharpened them yet, for he had no difficulty flexing one without cutting his hand. Poking with his index finger and muttering under his breath, he counted them, then turned his attention to the next bell, which proved to contain spear shafts. Therog and the orb looked on as Emrys as Emrys conducted his inspection, responding as best they were able to the fence's shrewd observation regarding short counts and 
deficiencies in workmanship. Aaron was grateful to the older man for keeping the Red Axes occupied. It was the only reason his plan, which since the moment had come to try it, looked harebrained even to Aaron and even the slightest chance of working. He gave Mary a nod and they glided forward, keeping low, using every available bit to cover, of cover. He was glad she moved as silent as any burglar he'd ever known. He supposed rangers had to master stealth stalk game and goblin can through the woods. Emrys liked to cook for the patrons of his tavern and was renowned for his tangy stews. Aaron's path led him nearly within arm's reach of the fence, so close that the scent of spice clinging to Emrys's hands and cloths tickled his nose, and for a moment he was afraid he was going to sneeze. He didn't, though, and he and Murray, Mary reached the wagon without anyone looking up, nor did the drop horses soft, stolen beasts of burdens that they were do anything to give them away. Aaron managed to crawl into the cramped interior of the wagon bed without making noise. Mary did almost as well, though once when she squirmed most of the way in, the tip of her scabbard softly thumped the wood. Aaron winced, but Emrys and the axes didn't react. Aaron and Mary lay in the claustrophobic uh, space like corpses in a coffin built for two, and he wondered how they could defend themselves if discovered. He just about concluded it would be impossible when Emrys completed his inventory and declared exactly how much he was willing to pay. Theron objected in a this desultory fashion even invoked the threat of Cass's displeasure, but then accepted the offer. The fact was, even the Red Axes found Emrys too useful to risk alienating him over an everyday sort of transaction. And two, a thief operating outside the gangs, 
the fence's goodwill was all but indispensable. If Amorous ever found out, Aaron had used him as an unwittingly unwitting tool in a quarrel with Kes. The consequences could be severe. Yet with his father's life in jeopardy and schemes for rescuing him in short supply, he hadn't seen another choice. The laboriously, no, Darog laboriously counted Lemurus's coins and the orcs slammed the hatch shut without looking inside. The boards above Aaron's face groaned a little as the red axes reloaded the empty casks. Then axle creak, axles creaking, the wagon began to roll. The wood was hard against the thief's back and felt harder still when the cart's, the cart's progress bounced him up and down. Mary's voice murmured from the darkness, soft enough that the red axes wouldn't hear it over the noise made by their horses and conveyance. And conveyance. Suppose they don't bother to unload the barrels when they get back to the mansion. How are we supposed to climb out of here without without jostling them around and making a lot of noise. I don't know, Aaron answered. I know about the trick wagon, but I kind of forgot about the kegs. How clever of you. Well, we'll manage. All right. If you don't like this idea. What was your cunning plan? She was quiet for a moment and said, I'm sorry, you're right. Barrels or no, this is a better scheme than any I was able to devise and I shouldn't find fault. Well, I'm glad I didn't have to attempt it alone and glad you know how to complete. You have the makings of an able cap, uh, cut purse or horse breaker. She snorted and said, thanks so much. I imagine someone could have a passable woodsman of you. I imagine someone could make a a passable woodsman view if you were willing to stop depending on all those little knives and invest the time and effort to learn to use real weapons. I guess if I learned to draw a bow I could kill people from a long from from a long way off when they had no way of fighting back. I told you, 
I took no joy in shooting your friends. I know, he said with a sigh. You were only doing your job, and they knew the risks. I just missed them, it is all. I understand. I've lost my share of comrades. Who knows? Maybe I've already lost my father too. He's frail. If Cassius tortures him the way he said, he may have killed him without even meaning to. Roping in the blackness, Mary found Harry found his shoulder and gave it a squeeze. Don't dwell on such thoughts, she said. Focus on practical matters, how to accomplish the task at hand, and what to do after. Right. Once we get out, he'll probably need a healer. We can take him to... Ilmatar's house, but I don't think he or I should spend another night there. When someone's after you, it's often safer to keep moving around. I have one more person I trust. Her name is Neniatha. Neniatha. Del Delette and she owns the Talon Dance, finished Mary, in the tone of one reluctantly delivering bad news. Finished, finished Mary in the tone of one reluctantly delivering bad news. She gave up your name to Severus. It was how we traced you to your garret. Shadows of the mask. Why would she do that? It's not important. What matters is that your friendship is no great secret. And if someone could make her betray you once, the same thing could happen again. Why were you? Find someone else to hide, somewhere else to hide, or another way to be safe. Let me help you with that, too. You mean, you'll ask the same rich bastard I robbed in the first place to protect me? By all accounts, he's an honorable turf. By all accounts, Aaron broke in. You've never even met him, have you? Well, no, only his rep 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 representatives, but, but, thanks anyway. But Father and I will take our chances on our own. You just keep your mouth shut about, exact about exactly who stole the banquet or helped you recover it for that matter. After that, the conversation lagged and Aaron felt a black mood coming over, even sweet, unworldly. Then 
Ether, who doted on tales of chivalrous heroes and pure damsels, faithfully unto death had sold him out. It was even more of a shock that Virgil then it was even more of a shock than Virgil's treachery. But Mary was right. It was not the time to brood about it. He struggled to shake off the hurt and concentrate on his immediate concerns on how he and the scout would locate Nikos. Then escape Kesk's stronghold alive. The wagon accelerated and slowly turned periodically. Aaron found it impossible to judge how much time had passed or how far the conveyance had traveled since the Red Axes drove it out of the warehouse. His discomfort and trepidation made it feel like ours. Finally, though, the cart rumbled to a stop. He listened as, judging from what he could hear, Farag and the orc climbing down from their seat and unhitching the horses. After that, everything was quiet. Now, He counted off twenty heartbeats, then squirmed around until he could reach the catch that held the hidden panel down. Even working blind, it was child's play to pop it open. When he raised the hatch, however, the barrels on top slid, toppled, and clumped hollowly together. He expected it, but scowled at the noise even so.